Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the First Word Podcast. Uh, my name is Alex, and I'm here with Mike. And, uh, <laughs> yes? It's my last, just making sure people knew my last name, in case they forgot. They haven't heard from us in a while. <laughs> yes, you know, it's been a long time, and um, my apologies for taking so long to get a new episode out. It's very hard with our schedules, meaning Mike and I's time and our ability to get a guest to arrange everything to work out perfectly. I've tried for like weeks now to get something together, and it's not very easy. Uh, and October was very busy for me. I was at two different film festivals, and Mike, you were touring around with your documentary, and it's just been a very busy time. Um, but of course, there's always films to talk about, so... Uh, now that we're able to get together and have a chat, there's one film I know that you and I really want to talk about because we've been thinking about it for a while, which is First Man, the Damien Chazelle film, which also uh, is very delayed in our conversation because the film opened like in early October in America, and it has uh, just opened in Germany where I live in Berlin uh, this weekend in the middle of November, like a month and a half or a month delayed. And uh, and I was waiting to see it in IMAX because I will get into the IMAX experience, which I've been um, hearing about because he shot it with IMAX cameras. And I didn't see it in IMAX originally. So it was kind of like my, you know, I kept waiting and waiting to once it opens, go see this film and see it properly in IMAX. So that actually just happened to me this weekend. So I actually went back to the, there's a, there's a, uh, the world's largest, or not the world's largest, excuse me. The biggest screen in Germany is the IMAX screen in Berlin. And it's like dual laser IMAX, like a legit full screen in a huge auditorium. And I really love that one actually. Um, and that was awesome. So that's what I just did. And now we're uh, jumping on to have a conversation about First Man because for everyone who's been listening since the beginning, since we talked about Star Wars, we're both space sci-fi nerds, and this is uh, not sci-fi, <laughs> sci-real, but uh, 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 a film we've both been looking forward to for a long it's time. sci-fi if you're a big flag nut. <laughs> hey <-o. laughs> I want to. I, I I almost want to like quickly. Do you want to just get it out of the off, way? But... Let's let's just get it out of the way because it's old news now, and. And it already hurt the film, I think. Well, I don't know. It's very strange, the box office, to me. If you talk to somebody who didn't go to the movie because of that, they'll tell you that the box office is because of that. But I don't think that's the case. I mean, just look at Ryan Gosling's history. He's not exactly a blockbuster name. People love him to death. But he's not a moneymaker, right? And that's not probably his fault. It's because of the movies he chooses are a little bit more creative and independent, even if they're studio movies. But... um. Like yeah. if you even La La Land was like, I mean that did really well, but that did really well I think for word of mouth more than anything. Yeah, um, and a wholly different story. Um, but the point is that uh, the flag controversy was ridiculous and shouldn't have existed in the first place, and it's just another example of um, American politics co-opting things that it shouldn't. And when you watch the movie, <laughs> it's just like it's not an issue at all, and. Yeah. You understand, if you have a basic understanding of movies at all, you understand why there wasn't an explicit, gratuitous uh, shot of the flag being planted. And, like, you could have easily put it in. Like, Chazelle could have easily just had that shot. It wouldn't have changed the movie at all. But it wasn't a necessary moment either. Like, it, served no, it wouldn't have served any purpose other than just being a box to check on things that happened on the moon. Instead, they they went with 
what is, I think, probably the fictional moment of the film, right? Which is the um, throwing of the... Spoiler. Well, what, 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 is it even the same year that the movie came out now? <laughs> you guys over hey, there in Germany. It, but, but it's the only discovery of what the film would provide, other than, of course, we know that he lands on the moon, or they land on the moon. But the... Yeah, well, I think this is, like, <laughs> in essence, the big question that you always have to ask yourself if you're making a biopic. Is where do you embellish or where do you create drama or story connectivity that doesn't exist in the real world? Like, pretty much, you're going to have a hard time in the real world seeing moments that make perfect sense narratively in a movie, right? People don't just, like, take a thing eight years ago and remember that, oh, if I ever land on the moon, I'm going to put this there and then do it. And then nobody ever hears about it until this movie comes out. Like that's the kind of thing. But that's not the that's not the point, Mike. It's more like uh, the 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 dynamic nature of what the narrative in this film is leads to. I think it's it such was a personal important. story. <laughs> you know, it was totally an important story beat, and I love that they did it. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I have no problem with the fact that, um, based on whatever uh, I could find that wasn't necessarily there's there's no proof that that actually happened and it would be very bizarre for uh, a nasa astronaut to just wander off on his own to have a moment like that when they're on very limited time and resources and have a job to do but um that's like the, the whole movie is about that the whole movie is about this guy who has a job to do and he's doing it so why not have a moment of personal reflection and uh and you know, wrapping up this journey he's been on as a character. Like, I have no problem with that. It was a really heartfelt moment. And, yeah, of course. And um, especially being able to see it in IMAX what made it even more powerful, just enveloping well, all you're of your senses. Well, jumping ahead, Mike. Jumping ahead. Oh, well, there's, there's no order here. <laughs> well, I just want to go back and say that that – that is essentially what the movie is about more than anything, as you already said, is that what I noticed actually this, the second time around watching it was how quickly his his um, daughter's death comes on in the beginning. It's like five, ten minutes into the movie, there's these like kind of like up moments where he's he's like hanging out with his daughter and dancing with her. And then next thing you know, it like cuts to the casket being buried. And um, I, th- I was sitting with this audience and I'm thinking like, man, this is a heavy moment to drop on you like five ten minutes into the movie but then that becomes the the this isn't you know this isn't the like whiz bang hollywood version of how we got to the moon it's it's uh neil armstrong's journey of how he got to the moon following him very intimately and closely and that's what chazelle i think aimed for and that's why he stuck with his creative choices in every sense of it to deliver that story which is like probably a little embellished but also realistic in many ways where he wanted it to be realistic like so many intense ways so well i mean i want to i want to use this sort of introductory conversation also to take a look back at the other content that exists about moon landing and about the apollo missions and i because i think it's important to have some context for what came before this movie because that i think is a big part of why it is the way it is when you decide to make a movie about something that people already know, you have to look back at 
well, why do people already know about it? What is it that has already captivated them that they don't need repeated? And obviously this is a movie that was based off of a book, right? It's based off of a recounting of these events. So it already had source material that hadn't been used before in a film. But we know what happens, and we know how it happens. And we've seen the history, and we know the history. And of course, there are people who don't. But for the most part, guys like Damien Chazelle know that people already know what's going to happen in this movie. So you have to look back at things, and for the most part, they're documentaries, right? Like, there hasn't really been... um, a biopic about the moon landing, um, really sort of high-profile one, and there hasn't really been anything about Neil Armstrong besides documentaries. But when you, I, I did a little binge before I went to First Man, and I own a lot of these, so I've seen them before. But I just wanted to kind of, yeah. Well, what did you see? Yeah. Well, I'll pause for a sec. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. And, well, I'll tell you one of my favorite ones that uh, I watched that I, I, I've loved ever since I even found out it existed. Is, it's called For All Mankind. Yeah, it's a documentary, right? It's a documentary. It's like extensive documentary. Very. It's Criterion Collection, and it's it's one of those documentaries that only uses real footage, real existing, uh, existing interviews, existing news clips, existing footage from astronauts to tell the story of this whole mission and the, and the whole overarching NASA mission to, to land on the moon. And I, it's really powerful to see it in that context. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of other more dramatic, exciting ones. It's not super exciting. It's old-fashioned and it's slow, but it's real. You know, it's real footage. And when you want to look at the other side of things and really go to the dramatization the right stuff is like the, you know, I think that's probably the number one movie. If you're ever going to talk about anything that has anything to do with space exploration or NASA, you have to watch the right stuff. And not only is it a great movie, but it's one of the most comprehensive biopics you'll ever see and covers a large swath of space. And what I think's great is that it ends basically right when uh first man begins which is fun and gives you a nice way of sort of waltzing right into first man being up to date and then there's of course there's apollo 13 and that's probably the most famous but the other ones i i watched beforehand included mission control which was new to me it's new it came out this i think this year it's a documentary about the guys who ran you know the operation oh, right. control yeah exactly and it was really really well done and you know there's hidden figures there's space cowboys and there's you know there's other movies that exist but i think if you really want to like have a night where it's all connected it's sort of like for all mankind the right stuff first man apollo 13 chapaquitic <laughs> on the what Chappaquiddick starts literally in the same moment that uh, First Man ends, and of course, what, with the with the landing on the moon. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and you have an actor, moment. you have an actor transitioning into the new movie. It's it's very seamless. That's all I'm saying. Come on. <laughs> no, if you're if you're gonna mention that, the one I want to mention is called Operation Avalanche, which was this tiny little indie film from Sundance. It's like 
uh, it's, it's fake because they it's like these filmmaker kids get hired to do the fake moon landing for NASA. And it's like this like pseudo uh, twist on it, like alternate history. And it's made by these kids and like it's shot like it was made in the 60s. It's great. Um, you know, I watched the trailer for that and I really thought it looked interesting. And it just sort of fell right. off my radar. But I should watch it. Yeah. There's another documentary called In the Shadow of the Moon which is similarly to for all mankind like a a, a a full doc on the apollo missions too but now there's, there's a also lot of one that came out this year about um i i'm gonna blank on his name but the last person who's la- who landed on the moon um and his story which uh, looked fairly interesting so i didn't see it but um worth checking out if you're really into this stuff and then of course there's apollo 18 but we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> the horror movie? Or Transformers, Dark of the Moon. We want to really figure out the whole gamut of movies that take place on the, on the moon. No, no, please. <laughs> All right, so that's sort of like what came before. And I do think that there was a lot of um, the right stuff in First Man. I feel like that if there's one movie that influenced his choice and his style and how to make it feel like it came out of that era... I think he looked at that movie. Obviously, he chose to like shoot on film and make it feel like it was filmed in the late '60s. Yeah. Um, apart from the IMAX stuff, but it, it you you don't it does have a very authentic feel, right? First Man. Yeah, which I guess is his point. I mean, there were moments in the IMAX where I saw the um, like the little things that come up on the bottom of a frame when the film is running 35 millimeter, like little fuzzies and little dust in the frame. And I was like thinking to myself, like this is IMAX being digital. Like they left that grainy, like, like 35 millimeter, eight millimeter reel, like dust on the frame in the film that's being shown everywhere. It's cool. Which is, I guess our part of his authenticity and his desire to make it feel like you said, like you're in that time. Which for the most part works, and and I I I mean, do, do we just want to get into the IMAX? Because someone mentioned on Twitter when I was going yesterday, they thought this is one of the best uses of IMAX around. And that I want to mention this with what you're saying, Mike, because it's basically for all the authenticity in connection with his shooting styles and his film choices throughout the rest of it, it's all leading to the moon moment, which is the IMAX moment, which is like spectacular. <laughs> oh my god why you didn't what you have a problem with imax don't tell so, me this. like no. i feel i feel like i'm i'm kicking a kicking not just looking a gift horse in the mouth here uh i know that i should be appreciative of it and i thought it was great but uh, you know and I, I think this is the christopher nolan effect um he's you know the film was promoted as a lot of things but one of them was this amazing use of the IMAX camera oh my god wait till you see it and was it well I saw a lot of that chatter so um, (laughs) in my bubble it was heavily promoted as something you gotta see and you gotta see this in IMAX and I was like okay fine I'll do that like I love IMAX sound I, I, I know that IMAX can sometimes disappoint because of the you know the amount of it used but the sound will never disappoint uh, now when he opens that hatch 
and the camera sweeps out and it turns into IMAX, I gasped. That was amazing. <laughs> so far, um, so good. It was the second best transition to IMAX I've ever seen after Ghost Protocol. Okay. Go, you know, going out over the ledge of the Burj Khalifa. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was nuts. Um, but I feel like it was so crisp and almost so digital. Like, obviously, they didn't put a fucking IMAX camera on the moon. I get that. Um, but it looked so fake to me. It looked so perfect and digital. Not in, like, the cleanness of the image, but the actual, like, appearance of the moon that I was immediately sucked back and didn't enjoy. I got very distracted by that. And I don't know if it's because my body, my eyes, my mind got used to this 35 millimeter um, shaky cam approach. And then suddenly it's very smooth and perfect and pristine. But I was very uncomfortable about it. And, of course, it, it once... They started to sort of wander out and we followed him i felt a little better about it and of course like close-ups in imax camera are perfect and shallow depth of field and it's so amazing to the crispness of the image but the moon felt fake to me and in a movie that felt so real i felt like i was now watching something fake and i wasn't expecting that feeling and it, it really drew me away and i need to see that scene again so that I can revisit it, but that was my initial reaction, and I was just disappointed. I mean, that's all I'm getting at here. I know no, it was you're cool, totally wrong, Mike. You're but, totally wrong. Well, it's like <laughs> my opinion, man. I know. I'm, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> know. I'm just no, I, I, the Big Lebowski. I I kind of see what you're saying, but on one hand, I actually think maybe that's actually what it would really feel like to be there. That's maybe that's part of the authenticity. But, like the, but also, why, why did you go to IMAX then? Why wouldn't you go to IMAX the, the, when the rocket lifts off? Because that's different than actually stepping on the moon, Mike. And you, like you, you know, you must know the actual spaceships are extremely claustrophobic and small and tight. To to go IMAX in a situation that authentically is very compact and cost, like claustrophobic wouldn't make sense. It makes much more sense once they step on the moon to make you feel like. The, the, what I felt in the, his point, I think, is the otherworldly feel. Like, we in none of us, aside from the, what, 15 astronauts who've done it, have ever been able to step on the moon. So none of us can say what that feeling is like to step on an entirely different planet. I mean, it's hard to even comprehend Earth as is. But to to then get that step, he was trying to make it that, that like, you've never seen anything like this because it's incomparable to everything you've ever seen feeling, which, of course, it is digital because... It's fake, but also <laughs> the movie, not the real Moon Lady. But um, but but nonetheless, I f I still think that that like the awe of it comes from how like huge it is, like and how nothing it is. You know, there's no atmosphere on the moon. There's just and then it's just this gray dust everywhere and craters. So like the that's actually one of the things that at first I thought, oh, why don't they put like more things in the sky? But then I'm like, well, there isn't a sky there. There's nothing to put there except the blackness. That's what it is. So I, I, that's what I love about that sequence is that you get that, like, put, for, for all we know, re realistic feeling of what it's like to step there. And yes, it is too clean. I know what you're saying. I get it. I, I sensed that when I saw it. But I also saw it the first time not in IMAX, and that made a difference to me because I knew that scene would be the one to see. Like, I knew 
when it happens and it doesn't go in, you know, the aspect ratio doesn't change in the regular format, I thought to myself, like, oh, man, I wish I was seeing the moon as I should properly be seeing it. Yeah. That's why no, I, I, had I to think it, it's, it makes total sense and it's absolutely necessary to have the IMAX experience when they're on the moon. I mean, it's, it would have been silly not to. It, the tools are at your disposal. Do it. Um, I can only imagine how vast and enormous it must feel when you have nothing but dust and sky, right? It's like there's no buildings, there's no horizon, <clears throat> there's mountains and, and, and craters, and, and that's it. And to know that if you just take one wrong step, you could get flung into the atmosphere, even though it's not quite that dramatic of gravity there. But, I mean, it's there's a sense, I'm sure, of just vastness, emptiness of space. So it made total sense. Um, and I, it's just one of those situations where the feeling I came in expecting to have was not the feeling that I was given, and so I got thrown off. But this is the beauty of movies. Like, you can watch them multiple times. And the way you experience a movie the first time around is not exclusive for the rest of time like i'm definitely gonna own this movie i'm definitely gonna watch it many more i wonder if they'll have an aspect ratio change on the home home version though i all the 4k blu-rays that i have do that if they're if they have imax okay like it goes a little one okay um yeah i Again, I see a little bit of your complaints, and I understand it. And maybe it is the like Nolan Spielbergian space that you're used to now, and that like. But I would compare this to Gravity, like the cleanliness, digital feeling of Gravity, while CGI still felt real for the most part, is replicated there. And I I understand the jarringness of it too, of how it's not what you've seen the rest of the time. Because it's also the other thing I thought when I was at the film the other night was like, okay, basically this is, again, uh, it's like a two-hour, ten-minute movie total, right? This is like a ten-minute IMAX sequence. So for 94% of the film, in IMAX, you're not you're seeing it very cut down into full a full widescreen ratio, and that's all you get the whole time. And it's not the same as like Nolan's, you know, 45 minutes worth of IMAX, which... While it's choppy, you still you can still feel it as a part of the film. And honestly, I, I I think the takeaways from this film are not that that scene, right? And I I think you can sort of get a sense that Damien Chazelle was never that interested in the moon landing itself. Like that was a spectacle moment, um, but it was never the reason why he made this movie, and. And I think you can feel that in the in the rest of the film. And for me, like the big takeaways were the the relationships that he had with his family, with his colleagues, and this um, the the way that personalities can clash, which is not something that you see very often. You saw it in the right stuff, right? This is not, but this is not something you often see when it comes to movies about real characters that are heroes. You know, uh, you don't often see them as human beings uh, with flaws. And not that he was a drunk or beat his wife or had, like, flaws the ways that we we often see in film um, music biopics usually. But, like, it's, it's deeper than that. It was just sort of being pulled a few different directions but having the resolve to keep going. And I, I think 
it was very subtle too. I mean, you don't realize that part of his resolve was in the experience he had at the beginning of the movie with his daughter's death. And when they bring that back in that crater, you do realize that that was a big driving force for him to pursue this dream of his and to do this thing he wanted to do. And it was his escape from the pain of losing a daughter. And that's why he jumped right back into work. And that's something people can relate to. One thing I thought was kind of interesting, and I'm curious your opinion, like I was instantly reminded of the social network and it's, it's sort of structural approach to storytelling and how we know that this breakup scene at the very beginning of the social network, which in the movie's narrative is explicitly the driving force for making Facebook. But we know that that's not all it was in real life. We know that it wasn't just a revenge kick on an ex-girlfriend, but the movie kind of laid it out that way. And first man kind of lays it out like, Oh, he, you know, he, he made, he made it happen getting to the moon because of losing his daughter or there was some kind of connection there that made that feel like the driving force. If that hadn't happened, he may not have ended up landing on the moon. I don't think it's that simple. I think it's uh, movies are complex and so are people and so are characters and so are feelings. And I think it's more of a bigger picture of like just the, the um, amazing feats of mankind and how we can pull off something so spectacular uh, and remarkable and impossible. And, you know, that involves pilots who are like willing to be risk everything, but also like Neil Armstrong's thing wasn't, Oh, he's a daredevil crazy guy. It's, he was like, we're going to get it done. Like in the press conference when he was talking about how he wouldn't answer any questions with any like comedy. He's just like, yes, we will be successful in our mission. We hope to get to the moon. That is the plan. Like he was, that was his approach and mentality. And you combine that with all these other people working in sync to actually pull it off is like the most like incredible thing about the film. It's just that's to me what's going on. And, and I don't want to pin it down to just, oh, he was motivated by his daughter's death as much as he was a, like a portrait of a man. And this is who he is because he's also very distant, like his whole super awkward conversation with his kids before he leaves for the mission where his, his wife is like, you have to talk to them. And he's like, I don't want to <laughs> say goodbye to my children that I may never see again. That's just who Neil is. And I think he was trying to explore that on a on a intimate but still big picture scale. That's why I loved that handshake moment. I thought that was great. With his kid? Yeah. The fact yeah, that yeah. his kid knew that their relationship was business-like. You know? I <laughs> well... Mean, that's what, my, the, you know, he was focused on his tasks. He had to be focused on his tasks. At that time in American history, the wife is responsible for the home and the husband is responsible for the work. And, terrible, Mike. Terrible. And, and that's, the, that's the culture that was kind of, that was the culture back then. And the, the story reflects that. He's able to just get lost in his work to recover from the loss of his daughter Meanwhile, she has to stay at home and raise the kids and and deal with the kids. And and you do. I got a a heavy sense of that um, burden for both of them. You know, it wasn't just the woe is me. My husband might die. I'm scared uh, wife there. She had this um, responsibility 
to hold the family down and keep everybody, you know, keep everybody going while he was doing his thing. Because for him, work was his way of dealing with it. And for her, maintaining the family was her way of dealing with it. But there were clashes because of that. And I thought that was really interesting. I mean, we spent as much time in their home as we did, you know, at the space station or whatever. Not space yeah, station. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, headquarters. I, my my only, like, real major complaint I have with the film is his kids. And I can't tell if it's the performances or if it's, like, that's what they were supposed to be doing, which is just, like, super goofy, disconnected, like, kind of crappy performance, kids running around, like... You know, I don't know if it was just because he's not spending time with them and this is how they're turning out, or if it's just uh, like he cast really weird kids in the role. I can't. It's the only thing that bothers me when I'm watching it because I know it's important, but I I just like feels. It's almost like he's like it. It couldn't be in a in a way that it goes outside of the film. It I couldn't believe that he was spending time with his kids at all. Like I couldn't believe he had any relationship to these kids in a sense that like. I guess it is casting. Like it just, it just didn't feel believable to Isn't me. Isn't that kind of the point, though? Well, again, that's what I'm saying. Like I, I know that that's what he's trying to say is that they, they are. I mean, he, he's their father, but he doesn't. I don't know. I don't. Uh, even the second time, I didn't. I thought. I thought of it more as like a flaw with the film than just like, oh, this is the, the point of the performance. Only because it's like there's nothing else. I truly could put down on a major level like you are with the IMAX sequence. That doesn't bother me as much as this. Like, because I love everything else about his performance and the story and the intimacy following him through his experiences at NASA and training and and the CHOP timeline and all of this, um, you know, spanning uh, years. But the kids just always bothered me. (laughs) I do, and I do, you know, for me as a Tree of Life fan, I really appreciated that sort of like Tree of Life. It was clearly a reference. Yeah, that, yeah. no, hundred percent. That in a two thousand one reference that I'm like, they were so clear. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, there's that. The, yeah, that music. The camera. And there's the... that that moment when they exit the atmosphere, um, and it was like, look, Interstellar pulled from direct directly from the two thousand one Space Odyssey page, right? So. Mm. I can't say that this copied Interstellar. It copied 2001. The music was the same. The style of the shot was the same. The long, drawn-out, um, slow-moving spaceship was the same. Like, it was 2001. And I love when filmmakers just wear their references on the sleeve. It's like, look, I'm, I can do this too. It's awesome. Why change it? And the Tree of Life was like it, it. 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 Nobody else is doing that, right? It's not like a trend. It's not a thing. So I'm okay with this being uh, a nod to that way of showing the sort of fun, f- carefree lifestyle of a kid. Mm-hmm. To me, though, like I, one of my favorite moments in the movies in the movie was um, when Claire Foy and Ryan Gosling have to discipline the kid right and I, I used the actor's names because i feel like it was a totally improv scene i'm sure all of those scenes were improv but like the, they're giggling because they put the kid in the corner and made him look at the wall and they're giggling and as a dog owner i i i feel that it's just like whenever i'm disciplining you know one of our dogs uh and he gives me that puppy dog face and i like have to laugh 
It's funny. And it, it, you don't see that very often in movies. And I just thought it was such a great little moment that I won't forget. I mean, of all the things in this movie, like the one moment that I really, really remember and loved was that little tiny one. Yeah, and? <laughs> That's the only moment you loved in the whole film? No, I'm just saying if I had to pick one of my... I had to pick my favorite moment. I think that was that was certainly one. Okay, that's a very emotional moment. I on the opposite spectrum, one of the sh- I just one of the shots that I loved and I wanted to talk about after seeing it last night was or the other day was um when uh he first gets into the Gemini cockpit um and like the camera for the first time I've ever seen in my life the camera like POV gets into the cockpit in a way where you feel how incredibly tight and small this little thing is. Where, you know, like, I've gone and seen actual, you know, Gemini uh, spaceship, like, pieces, and you still don't get that feel of what it was like when that shot happens. Dude, um, the Gemini 8 sequence is, without question, the best scene this year in all movies. I mean, it's one of those it's a, it's, yeah. all-timer action sequences it was so perfectly done to me that was the peak of the movie like the the moon landing and all that stuff felt like a sort of almost like an epilogue that was the climax the gemini 8 scene was so perfectly done so claustrophobic so intense so nonstop. the music was perfect and it was it, it gave you a sense of all the things that these guys deal with the risk and the intensity and the fear and the unknown of what's happening on the outside of the ship. I mean, it was just, it was so good. And the, it all was built up by this fear of getting burned alive because of what happened to the Apollo 1 people. And so there were Wait, all these... That was, that's, fa- that's later, isn't I'm, it? I'm sorry. The, the, the knowledge... Get your timeline right, Mike. Sorry, the knowledge that, um, that there are hazards and that they're not ready yet and that they could die in there. And then, of right. course, that happens after. But it, the general knowledge that there is still a lot of risk at play. They're not ready to be playing in the big leagues, and here they are. Good luck. Yeah. Shoot you off in a rocket into outer space before we're ready. Yeah, I do love that sequence too. I mean, it's everything that's been said about First Man is, uh, in terms of the technical side of it, is really what stands out in these kind of scenes, like the sound design, the cinematography, the, the just the the um closeness of it and uh how how much like you believe everything that's happening and how uh, there's so many major time jumps in the films and things they don't show but on this one he's just like let's just show the whole thing happen because you have the intensity of liftoff then you have the like successful docking and then you have shit going crazy while he can't reach the people anymore because they're out of radio communication range like and then attempting to survive. And I think it's still, I think this scene is also intercut with something else going on, which is a really smart editing trick that I noticed it more on the second time. I'm trying to think of what they cut it to, but I don't remember right now. Um, I know they just kept cutting back to mission control a lot. And like a first mission control was like, happy and that things were successful and then um then they just like kept coming back to them because there was such a disconnect on the time between the how their ability to talk to each other that it was like 
all of a sudden they went out of range and things go crazy and you have to wait for them to catch up. But, but yeah, I mean, it's in well, out of was, all, I think seen, wasn't the intercut was, it was, uh, it was his wife listening to the broadcast and then it getting turned off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like in this way where like, while he's up there doing this, she's down here in, you know, taking care of the kids in the house. Like there was, it would cut to the kids in the house and they'd be running around. And she'd right. Be listening. That was, and, then and they took it. the, they took the, speaker away yeah and then she goes in and yells at them but it was a very clear sense of like the 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 difference between what he's doing up there and what she's doing down there and how almost oblivious to what everything is going on outside of earth because nothing no one can no one's up there no one else knows what's going on um and i wanted to say this too this reminded me to say is that i love that there's a um, I wrote this on Twitter, but I love that there's beautiful docking sequences in this film because like so many other space movies between Interstellar and Gravity and um, they just have bad docking sequences. Oh, The Martian as well. Like, and something goes wrong and the docking goes crazy and then we see this big thing. I'm like, actually, there's two nice docking scenes in First Man. <laughs> They're it's, good to, it's good to see some quality docking because as they prove with that Gemini 8 mission that uh, docking is important and they have to get it right or they can't successfully get to the moon. Well, I knew that because of Interstellar, so you didn't have to tell me. Or Gemini as they call it, which I read the I read the whole thing about Gemini, which is actually true. Like that's why they call it Gemini instead of Gemini. Yeah, it, it, there's like some internal um explanation as to like and i think it was just a case of damien trying to be accurate and how it would have what people inside of nasa would have said and so like it was actually some word they just preferred to say at jiminy and yeah you can read about it but it like because if you hear that like uh and you think why the heck is why are they saying gemini wrong they're not that's like their way of saying it um oh and the other thing i mentioned to you that I wanted to bring up too, Mike, was this, this uh, the foreboding feeling of Apollo 1. Like, if you know your space history, if you're a space nerd like me who knows everything that happened throughout the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo missions, you know what happens and people die. And just like, well, as soon as they start talking about Apollo 1, it's like, oh shit, it's coming, it's coming. And it's just like, I w- I, again, I was thinking about the audience when I saw it again, and I thought to myself, you, if you don't know what's going to happen, there's kind of a buildup and you can sense it. And then, of course, like the the scene before it is um, like them uh, on the street, and I it's like one of those scenes right before someone dies. So you're like, of course, this is a setup. But then I felt just like the first time I saw it, I felt so much dread for what was to come because I'm like, oh, I know these guys aren't going to make it, and Neil's going to have to well, sense yeah, that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's like a classic movie thing, right? If you like movies and you and you you pay attention, you always know when someone's going to die because they either get a speech. Or they get a heartfelt moment, and and that's important. I mean, that's fair. Um, it, it was interesting to see how they did it, right? Because you have to telegraph a little bit. It would. I was what what took me by surprise the most in the movie was the relationship that you know Neil Armstrong had um, with. Forgive me, which Jan. astronaut it was? Janet. Oh, you mean astronaut? The astronaut with who? Um, the, the, oh, the the Apollo One guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and and I think it was interesting to see how everyone was portrayed, so that there could be more and um, interesting relationships. 
um, you know, portraying uh, Buzz Aldrin as kind of like a dick is interesting. I mean, you know, these kinds of movies don't <laughs> do true that. though. Yeah, I mean, look, he's yeah, he has a reputation, but uh, and and I'm sure that it was fairly accurate to his personality, but they only showed him being a dick, and you wonder like, well, how is the, why are they even giving this guy opportunities? Just an asshole, uh, and. Then even like the the other guy, I forget his name, um, on the Apollo Eleven mission, was kind of just like the worrying mother, you know. Come on back, don't 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 you stay down there, you've got to come back, <laughs> and like yeah, yeah, hopeless yeah. Um, third character. But you would have thought this movie would have been about the three of them, but it was not. It was really about um, Neil Armstrong's relationship with the guy who would die on Apollo 1, and, and then also his relationship with his wife. And I just thought the relationship with the, that, his friend, the other astronaut, well, that was one of the biggest impactful moments of his life, obviously. You know, um, his friend died, and he's over here at the president, at, at the White House, doing a, this thing, and he can't react, and he has to bottle it up. And I, I just thought that was a really nice scene. It was gave Ryan Gosling a chance to act a little bit in a movie where he's basically not doing anything. He's like doing his drive thing again, you know, where he's just a stoic, quiet figure and doesn't have that much to say. And that's fine, but he, he, there wasn't a lot of range for him to experience in the movie, which was mm-hmm. interesting for such an intimate portrayal. But that's Neil Armstrong's reputation. You know, he's a he's a pretty quiet business guy you know he wants to do uh the work and he's not like a dramatic character that's what i was reading an article about uh this movie and why we haven't seen a biopic about neil armstrong yet is because as a character he's tough to portray he's not wild and crazy um you know like some of the early figures in space exploration were yeah I'm so I'm so amused by your dislike of how they portrayed Buzz. I was gonna say, isn't he in Apollo 13? But it must be other. Uh, there's other kooky astronaut characters in Apollo 13. I don't think he makes it in Apollo 13. Yeah, I mean he's he's in Transformers. <laughs> Buzz Aldrin is? You mean the actual real Buzz? Aldrin? The real Buzz Aldrin was in the Transformers: Dark of the Moon. You remember that, right? Uh, yeah. But I like Dark of the Moon only for that like connection they make to the moon sequence you're like oh okay because i still think the landing on the moon is so amazing <laughs> and I, 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 I again i love that this film portrays that so i hate living in straightforward the, this is one of those moments where you you hate growing up with just the knowledge that this happened right to not be able to have Neither experienced the real yeah. con the real like moment you know i mean there nine for us 9/11 is the craziest thing that ever happened in in my life and in in, in dozens and dozens of years you know when right. i'm a really old man and the world is burning because of global warming uh, i'll be able to tell my grandchildren um about this event but they won't be able to really comprehend it they won't know what yeah. it what it felt like to see something that was normal now not normal and yeah. and to be to live, I mean, how many years have fucking humans been on this planet looking up at the moon every night, and suddenly there's people on it? I, to 
to think about that is just wild. But now we live in an age where there's privatized space exploration. People are, sh you know, shooting rockets up every day. People in LA see it flying through the sky at night and they go, oh, that's just SpaceX again. I mean, to live in a time where they didn't even know this is something that you 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 learn in the um, in the mission control documentary. I mean, when they were tasked with this mission by to land on the moon by JFK, they didn't know what to do. They didn't even have the tools in place to do it. They didn't even know how to if they were able going to be able to communicate to somebody that far away from Earth. So the fact that they came up with all this shit in under a decade from scratch and shot these people off into outer space with no real understanding of of what could happen is unbelievable. Yeah, and it's only through exactly. movies like this that you get a sense for that scope uh, and and how crazy it really was. So I'm glad it yeah. exists. I'm very happy about First Man being a new addition to the sort of space exploration movies. But I, I still think there's even more to do. Like there's it's not it's not like oh well they'll never have to make another movie about the moon landing or space exploration because this did it all I, there's still <laughs> a lot to be desired yeah yeah and I, sure. I so I'm, I'm excited i hope more movies kind of dive into the personal stories that the one i've always wanted to see and i've been like telling people for five years now that i think this movie should exist is the challenger mission and suddenly it's too tragic man but suddenly what happened two week, two three weeks ago they announced that michelle williams is playing the teacher uh in that in a biopic about that movie about that event oh okay okay so it's happening yeah. and i'm really excited because i think that's a story people need to hear i mean they were going to send a civilian into well, outer was, space yeah it was big at the time <clears throat> and then in the last two three decades it's been forgotten about right and i think people this is what i'm kind of getting at though from before is like people don't have perspective on how crazy that time was and uh i mean that wasn't even that long ago but it's 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 hard to imagine the idea that no civilian had no no one even considered sending a civilian up there into outer space um and the fact that they just sort of lottery picked this woman because she kind of had all the right characteristics and personalities and experiences to, to be something different and to give NASA the opportunity to show people that anybody can, that not anybody can do this, but that also anybody can do this. <laughs> like <laughs> it was kind of just an interesting time. And I, and I, if it hadn't happened, we'd probably be sending people up into outer space willy nilly. Um, but, but I think, the whole space, the space, um, I think the whole sort of space program is still reeling from that incident. Like, they, they're they still not sure if and how we send civilians up into outer space. Well, as as First Man has a few scenes about it, it's, it's also about convincing the public that the money is worthwhile spent. And, and of course, it was easier during the 60s because they had the Cold War to use as a... a, a, a a front to bounce things off of for reason why we needed the money to beat the Russians. And then the space shuttle missions always had trouble getting money. And then as soon as that happened, it was like no one wanted to give any more money. And that's kind of been the situation they've been stuck in for a long time is like, well, they have money, but they don't have like 
that huge backing that they need. And I remember every 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 one of these space movies that would come out, there would always be this discussion of like, well, is this going to make people excited in NASA and space exploration again? I remember with Interstellar, I think I even said that a few times in my articles. It was like, this could this could bring people to be excited about space again. And it never does, unfortunately, because there's a bazillion other things to worry about. But like... Uh, I do love that about First Man is how much it makes you feel like this is an accomplishment that we should look up to, which is what Interstellar's quotes about, you know, in that very first teaser trailer for Interstellar when they were like, we used to go look to the skies, we used to do things we, we thought were impossible, like, this is, you know, this is what we did, we did this, it was awesome. Um, and I, I love in First Man that they include the JFK speech, because it's like a super... Um, popular and well-known speech and is used all the time but to because it so clearly references the the moon landing goal I'm glad that they put it in and it's also it was also tough to work in because the speech was given in I think 1961 and the movie ends in 1969 after they land on the moon I'm like how is he gonna how is he gonna figure out a way to put something in from eight years ago you know it was great because to me that was that was what the message you had to get across in this movie was yeah. These guys were all taking a risk. And these days we don't understand what that risk was because we're used to the ability to enter the atmosphere and go into outer space and stuff. Like they didn't know what was going to happen to them and they were risking their lives for this cause and suddenly everybody in the world is counting on them to deliver. And they're like they were kind of pissed off, right? They were frustrated. They were like, "Oh my god, I can't believe they're doing this. They're just going to they're just going to create a deadline." Great. All right. Well, let's do it. And it added an element of pressure that, you know, none of the other characters exhibit, but Neil Armstrong allows us to to enter that mindset of this sort of ticking clock, but it wasn't about the space race, you know? It I think that would be the next movie I'd love to see <clears throat> is like a real biopic about the 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 space race about about that battle and seeing both sides would be interesting you mean Uh, like you mean like uh like a back and forth between what russia was doing and what america was doing i mean it's so it's such a massive like two decade thing that it was even hard for first man to cover the nine years it does but that's because First Man is so personal. First Man is about Neil Armstrong. If you just make a biopic, or if you make a movie, if you make a, a true story rendition of the space race and cover that time, I think you can do it. I mean, the right stuff covered quite a lot of time. And did but there's, it. A, there's a lot in it between like Apollo 1 and Apollo 11 and all the Gemini missions and... I don't know. I look. I I think it's a cool idea. I'm just saying, like that seems to be the problem or the challenge is how much, you know, you really got to cover and how much you got to show. Like, I mean, they touch upon it in this movie where the whole point of every mission was to prove some other aspect of what's necessary, and then once they do that, they can continue to go on. And it's like, you know, proving that the rocket can work, proving that safety works, then proving that docking works, then proving that this works, then da 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 da, and and of course that's like. Again, the 20-year timeline is like, first things first, get a man outside of the atmosphere, then progress to blah, and, you know, like, do all these things. It is, it is, a, it reminds me more of um, the dichotomy I, that I would love to see that what you're saying is uh, letters from Iwo Jima and um, 
Flags of Our Fathers. But those are like two. You want to see a double feature movies. that does both sides? <laughs> they will cool. never ever do that, especially because no one wants to see a Russian version. I do. I'm saying, I mean, the American public probably well, doesn't. Well, did you? And you know that they're making a Neil Armstrong, or the documentary about Neil Armstrong is going to come out soon, right? You saw that. I'm not not Neil Armstrong about the Apollo 11 mission. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That looks very good. I mean, it look they're using footage that they're gonna they remastered a lot of footage. It looks like it's gonna be really good. Uh, you know, one thing is there's a lot of there are a few iconic shots of Neil Armstrong getting ready to go into the spaceship. One of them being, um, you know, like the putting the helmet on, and there's documentary footage of it. And first man, frame for frame, copied those shots, and I thought that was really fun and really cool uh i like when they do that when things are familiar i i mentioned this i think on the last podcast i did from venice but i really admire and respect damien chazelle for just how much he thinks about like he's 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 the best combination of a of a real diehard like smart filmmaker and a film nerd who's just like knows his references puts them in and also understands how to make something entertaining and exciting and enjoyable to watch while also being smart in his choices and editing and crafting complex characters and focusing the story so intimately. And the, he he has that grasp on all levels of it. That's what I love about his films. Is I, I didn't think I would love this film for those reasons. And that's what I think I'm most impressed about it is, is how much he... Like he know he you know how much research he did and how much he knew every little last piece of it and like you said if there's something he wanted to pull from another film or from real life he would because we all knew that it was so clearly a reference that everyone would pick up on. I mean he's he's such a great filmmaker and it it shows again with this film in terms of not just being able to make something like he's made before but still being able to be very skilled at the technical details and storytelling aspects. It's a lot to it. I, I, do you think it will get nominated for Best Picture? Maybe. It, I'm very sad it didn't do as well as it should. And I don't know what that means. It's just going to be forgotten. Um, I think it could win all the technical awards easily, like Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing. Um, and... I'm a big fan of the score. I really love the score, and I would be happy with it winning, though I don't know what else it'll be up against. And, I mean, as for, like, the main aspects of it, he's not going to win Best Director again. There's no way. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they see him nominated because, again, um, and I wish we had Sasha Stone on again to talk with us about this, is that there's a little bit of politics to it, and Damien Chazelle has worked the system well enough that they probably wouldn't care to nominate him a third time, like, as opposed to someone who, you know, even though the film isn't the best thing ever and he just won for his last film, you know, I don't know. It, it's, I don't, the the areas I think it has a definite chance of winning are all the technical, not all of them, but many of the technical categories more than anything else. Well, I'm curious. I, I, I mean, I feel like it's a shoe in to get nominated. It's just one of those movies yeah. and... Um, I, I think it, I, I can't imagine it, it should have been a performance piece and it didn't feel like as much of one as I was expecting. Um, I, I personally like it, it underwhelmed me. Um, what? How can it, you say that? What? It just overall, Mike, were you, look, were, you, my, were look, your expectations too high or something? Yes. What that's what I'm getting. That's for? what I was going to say. I mean, <laughs> okay. I expected this to be 
What incredible? Apollo Eleven, but thirteen. I I mean, kind of. Uh, you know, I I knew. I I don't know what to expect. I mean, Chazelle hadn't done anything like this before. La La Land and Whiplash were both stellar movies, like really kick-ass, great movies, in my opinion. And so I was expecting this to be a continuing climb for him in terms of his ability to make every frame of the movie just enjoyable and interesting. And he just sort of like, he sort of just put things in slow motion a little bit and focused. As like a filmmaker, I I think it was flawless and he nailed every beat he should and he really did it the way he needed to do it. To be honest to the story and the people, and I think he was. The movie was honest to who Neil Armstrong was as we know him. And I think that's really important. And he should and I'm sure no matter what the accolades are or aren't, Chazelle will sleep well at night knowing he made the movie he wanted to make. I think that's true. But as a movie goer, as a movie fan, I was hoping it would just be jaw drop, jaw droppingly perfect. Everybody has to see this movie. It's for everybody, but it wasn't right. It's not a movie for everybody. It's a movie for people who are interested in character-driven stories and are not interested in the obvious parts that aren't that don't just want, um, you know, fist fights and drama that didn't exist for the sake of it being exciting it was just a very authentic and real movie and i liked that but i liked it right you have a case of the nolanitis i probably (laughs) do i mean honestly he sets a bar fairly high for space movies now for me this isn't this is a different movie come on this is a film but i've i've acknowledged that that. i've acknowledged that i think that's 100 percent true and you know it's a movie that is filmed beautifully, has a great score. I love the score. And um, it has people I like in it. Mm-hmm. I liked it. But I only saw it. Look, I've been really busy. That's why we haven't done the podcasts. You know, you've been busy as well. Um, you watch movies for a living. I, I haven't. I, I try to watch movies at a great uh, clip and try and see four or five a month, which is crazy to people. Um, but to you, is like, you know that's child's play i i i have not been able to see as many movies lately and i'll tell you like if i didn't have a lot going on right now i would have seen the movie two or three times and my opinion might have been different i may have really come around on everything and just love the shit out of it but having seen it once that's my take and i usually see movies like this more than once because i know over time i'll love the hell out of it even if I was a little bit uh, distracted or, con- or or surprised by decisions. Yeah, I understand. And I, I think, think everybody should do that. Like, everybody who goes to movies should see movies more than once. Yeah, of course. I agree. Well, if you, if you love it or if you feel the need to get something out of it another time, usually I'm, very, I'm just, like, naturally guided by something that says – Oh well, that was good, and uh, there's something about it that makes me want to get another take on it, and get another viewing. Um, yeah, I have a very, I, mean, I, have man's... A, I have a deep distrust for my first opinions on movies. <laughs> well, I'm sad you didn't see it twice, but uh, but I mean, First Man isn't like, I don't mean this in a negative way. There's not much more to dig in with it. Like it is what it is. It's not like there's this great political commentary buried deep within or something. It's it's actually just like a 
it, it was a story as we've already discussed about Neil the man and and the, the mission that they accomplished and there's not much more to it. You can you can maybe like it or dislike it more or like more parts of it better than you did or didn't like. But I don't think you're going to watch it another time and be like, "Oh, this is so much more complex than I thought." But that but I don't again, I don't mean that in a bad way cuz I mean that in like a it, it it achieves what it sets out to do in a really glorious way, but also a very um raw way, I guess I would say. And that like as you already said, it's not the obvious stuff. I think that was a, a key statement you made because it was like maybe that's what the audiences who are used to Nolan and Hollywood blockbusters want is like, oh, we want to see the – I mean he has the liftoff in there. But like, oh, we want to see the liftoff and the docking and then blah, blah, blah. But but it's not that stuff. And I I don't know. I can't be on board with your reactions here, Mike. That's, that's okay. Well, we don't have to agree <laughs> on everything. No, no, I, I know. I know. But, um, but we can agree that anybody who – brings up the flag controversy should get a swift slap in the face before they continue speaking. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's nonsense. And I, I mean, there isn't a lot for women in the film aside from his wife and she has a strong force, but, um, that's the only other thing that I would think could be a worthwhile discussion is like how much. That's why I actually also wanted Sasha Stone on was to hear her take from a woman's perspective about just like, as you already said, at the time it was appropriate for women to stay home and watch the kids and do work. But at the same time, she has these great scenes where she goes in and is like, you guys are nothing but boys. And it's just funny stuff like that where she stands up on her own and, um, has a lot to say. And even like the last shot of the film is them kind of intertwined. And like, I, I thought about this when I saw it and I didn't want to say this cause I think it's almost like too obvious. Like it's one of these, why would you do this? It's too obvious moments is that the way the shot is set, which is like they're t- touching in the window cause he's in quarantine and their hands touches that the reflection of like her head is behind, like within his head. And I always think of that. It made me think of that like cliche uh, phrase that's been around for my whole life, which is like a great man is only as great as his wife or something like that. You know, like or like a great man is made great because of his wife. I think it's like a man, <laughs> like, a, a great man always has a, a great woman behind him or something. Yeah. And like I'm like, this is like a literal reflection of her taking that concept <laughs> Of like he's he's only as great as he was because she was there, and I'm not, I don't mean to say that in a like laughable way, but in cheesy and how straightforward he showed it. But in that, that's what I guess he was trying to remind us with her characters. Like, okay, he's even though their relationship was a bit weird and a bit like iffy, they still were strong together for for reasons that, as with any love story, we can't explain with words, but they knew and felt together. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it's the whole thing's fascinating to me, and um, I'd like to see some more about you know the behind the scenes of the movie and how things came to be. And there's a lot more to learn, yeah. I think, about decisions and why and this and that. So hopefully, hopefully we get to see some of that. And it's not behind the scenes have become few and far between, unfortunately. Mm. But um, mm. yeah, I have questions. I'd like to see this movie again. 
You should go see it again. If you have the chance. I don't think it's even in theaters anymore, sadly. No, but no. I think it's I, I think it's another great accomplishment for Damien Chazelle. And this comes from someone who's a huge La La Land fan and a huge Whiplash fan. Um, well, so good. I hope happy. he gets another good movie opportunity out yeah, of it. For sure. Uh, I hope he just gets to keep making more of what he wants to make and tell the stories the way he wants to tell them. Even if it's not perfect every time, at least he's proven he can... His mind can create something awesome and deliver, even though the box office this time isn't the case. At least cinematically, it's there. Um, I want to ask you, since since we we haven't reconnected in so long, so now that we've talked about First Man, is there any other movie you've seen recently that you want to recommend or talk about for a minute? Because now that we have to catch up, you mean since we last spoke? <clears throat> I mean anything you've seen recently that you're like, I love this film or I hate this film, and I want to yeah, say something. Yeah, well. Um, I'll I'll throw old dog in there, if you're <laughs> you know it, I mean it, I just found out about it um, because I've been flying so much I've been renting movies and whatever for the flights and I kind of ran out of new ones so I went digging for other stuff and I found the sixty minute documentary about a New Zealand um, sh- uh, shepherd who is a dog whisperer basically and it's fascinating and interesting and ultimately won't make your life any probably any better or worse but it it has made mine better i mean i've i learned a thing or two about how to handle my dog uh (laughs) but it's just a he's a fascinating character and it's just a good movie and and i think you'll like the people in it so if you like dogs at all or you just find 60 minute documentaries to be your bag just go on itunes and find it i think it's perfect i also watched um I, I, we're going to talk about Netflix on our next episode, um, so I'm not going to get too much into this. But there are, are some things I'd like to talk about um, that episode, and one of them is like this show Bodyguard that I just finished watching, which was really good. And and I'm realizing yeah. that like there's a lot of good shit on Netflix, despite <laughs> my general opinions of it. Teaser for next time. <laughs> okay. Um... I don't know. I'm just kind of sharing what I've been watching lately, but that yeah, doesn't yeah, even no, no, get no, close to the majority of it. Yeah, that's good. Um, I've I, I only recently caught up with it as well as Bad Times at the El Royale, but the one I really want to mention because I like Bad Times at the El Royale, but it, it's good. But um, the one I really want to mention was Overlord, which opened uh this this most recent recent that we're recording. It's awesome. It's this like World War Two set horror film. Uh, produced by J.J. Abrams and made by this uh, Australian filmmaker guy, and it's it's really really great. Like, it's it's really awesome. The opening scene is the best part. It's this incredible like paratrooper scene, which um, one of my friends thinks that maybe Abrams reshot it or had his hand in it more than we might think because it's very it's a very like Super 8 train crash esque sequence. Um, and has that Abrams feel, and then the rest of the film is just—it's just dang good. Like they, the intense, but not like I was worried it was going to be too horror. Where like next thing you know, there would just be a town overrun with zombies eating everyone. But it was actually more, um, more realistic World War Two with like a touch of the supernatural because they're doing experiments, and you know, like there's this serum they're trying to develop to make people come back from the dead as soldiers. So like that's the kind of conceit that they get into and once you know there's a lot of uh, intricate character work and the action is 
like nonstop basically there's only like a couple minute pause between each uh moment and it's 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 awesome i was actually worried that wasn't gonna be as good as it was or it was gonna be a little bit mediocre though you know the action would be few and far between but everything about it is great and i highly recommend it especially as a big screen loud in your face awesome experience it it rules you should see it i want to and i also only discovered uh two days ago that Wyatt Russell is Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's uh, son. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'm blowing someone's mind uh, or nobody because <laughs> we're an hour into this thing. So, if anyone's he's, still listening, he's good in it. He's good. Um, I, I like him a lot. Much better, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm gonna watch that movie. I think it'll be it'll be something I end up having to catch on my own. I'm not sure I can drag my wife to that one, but um, I'm gonna see it. I'm curious. And I'm a J.J. Abrams fan, so anything he touches, I like to watch. You will. You will enjoy it. Cool. Well, First Man's good. uh, (laughs) Yeah, First Man. You know, it's good. I know. We're so so late on it, and I'm – honestly, I mean, the only last thing I'll say is that I really am surprised it just didn't play well at all. And that I thought there would be more discussion about it, and I have no idea why – I won't. I wouldn't go so far as to put it on like my list of the best movies you didn't see last year because it was seen enough. It just wasn't seen by everyone, and um, and it also just kind of like had one opening weekend and then stopped making money, and they like took it out of theaters in three weeks or something like that, which just baffles me. But uh, who knows? Alright, well, I, I, I think I think people I think people go to the movies, it. people, and see some movies. Yeah, I know. I think it's like as soon as you see it, you're like, okay, that was actually really good. And um, I just think they couldn't enough people couldn't be bothered to go see it. Well, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and um, we'll be back soon with another episode. We're trying to be more consistent. No, not consistent. Let me let me do that again. <laughs> We're trying to be more regular and more often with some episodes coming up. Um, it was just a busy time of year and slowing down a bit with the holidays coming up. But there's also more to see with the holidays coming up. No Star Wars film this year. There's usually one in December, but we already talked about it. <laughs> Uh, so there's no December Star Wars film Um, but uh, yeah we're heading towards the end of the year and there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up so we'll be I don't know I don't have anything alright well it's been real talking today so we'll pick it up next time you can you can uh, you can find me on Twitter oh oh, oh, yeah yeah yeah. you can Uh, find I'll I'll do it you can find me on Twitter at Eisentower30 and keep up with my documentary that hopefully will release in the next couple months uh, at to air is human doc cool and you can find me on twitter as always at first showing and um starting uh next week or this week i will be at the uh idfa um documentary festival in amsterdam watching documentaries um and we'll be back with an episode soon about netflix so stay tuned guys thanks for listening